1: While it might defy logic, oftentimes the surest path to military victory is the least obvious one. And sometimes that path isn't even on the battlefield. Knowing the odds were stacked against the American colonies in the Revolutionary War, George Washington and Benjamin Talmadge relied on another facet of war to try to turn the odds in their favor, espionage. In fact, they created an entire spiring that may well have won the war for them. And from 1778 to 1780, this spy ring was instrumental in keeping Americans in control of their own destiny. Known as the Culper Ring, this approach was so secret that George Washington himself ordered Talmadge to keep him in the dark as to who the actual operatives were. All the better to protect their identities, of course. Thanks to the Culper Codebook, historians have since been able to decipher the messages that were sent between various parties involving and keeping American intelligence a few steps ahead of the British Army. It used a numerical code system for common words, and once those numbers were cracked, the story unfolded. For instance, 727 referred to New York City, 223 meant gold, and 355 meant lady. But 355 may have meant much more than that. It may well have referred to one specific lady, a lady who was herself an American spy. It wouldn't be the first time a woman had been overlooked by the enemy— Take, for instance, a major leak sprung by British Major John Andre. While speaking of an impending attack on the Americans, Andre didn't think twice about speaking freely in front of a housewife named Lydia Dara, who listened intently and then relayed the news to George Washington. Andre interrogated everyone in the house after the leak came to light. Everyone, that is, except Lydia. After all, surely all women held the same beliefs as their husbands. Right? The Lady of the Culper Ring, though, this Agent 355, is still unknown to this day. But it's believed that she was a member of a high-ranking loyalist family in New York City, a hotbed of British activity during the war. There she would have had access to all the chatter of British nobility in the colonies. And that's when the biggest intelligence breakthrough of the war surfaced, thanks largely to the efforts of 355, ever overlooked in the company of her enemy. You see, while reports dried up with the British in the South, on their return to New York City, the reports began coming from an unnamed operative in the field. These reports claimed that an American general was in cahoots with the British and covering for Major John Andres' comings and goings. And the intelligence was clear about who that was. Benedict Arnold was a traitor to the revolutionary cause. And this revelation came, by most accounts, from Agent 355. After all, most other Culper spies had already fled New York City by that point, avoiding the heat from British counterintelligence. Yet this breakthrough finding led to the arrest and execution of Major John Andre. And while Benedict Arnold escaped, the turning point had, well, turned. In the aftermath of this massive plot unraveling, the British began sweeping up anyone they even remotely suspected. According to some reports, this may have included Agent 355 who was held aboard the prison ship, the HMS Jersey. There, she gave birth to a son and soon died amidst horrid conditions. Correspondence among the Culper spy ring largely dried up after her death, leading more credibility to the belief that it was the still-anonymous Agent 355 who was at the heart of it all. Robert Townsend, the head of the Culper ring at the time, fell into a depression. Rumor has it that he was romantically involved with Agent 355, Although with all the secrecy surrounding their group, it isn't likely that we could ever prove that. Whatever the case, Agent 355 and her fellow spies learned a valuable lesson during their service. You never know what you might hear when people think no one is listening.
0: This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global.
1: to start living yours. Let's get into it.
0: Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. Well, I don't know about you, but like I never liked being told, oh wow, you look so good for your age. Like why even bother saying that? Why don't you just say you look great at any age, every age? That's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty. Beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com.
1: Whether it's searching the ocean's depths or climbing the tallest mountains, there are certain individuals who feel an urge, a hunger, to push themselves to the extreme, They aren't satisfied behind a desk or standing on the sidelines. They feel a calling to challenge what's possible by accomplishing the impossible. Perhaps none more than Donald Campbell. Campbell was born in Surrey, England on March 23rd of 1921 to a speed demon of a father. Sir Malcolm Campbell had been a Grand Prix racer and speed record holder on both water and land. It seems his son was destined to follow in his footsteps. Instead, Donald tried to join the Air Force at the start of World War II, but was denied entry due to a bout of rheumatic fever when he was younger. Instead, he supported the war effort by working as an engineer on military vehicles. After the war was over, on New Year's Eve of 1948, Campbell's life took a drastic turn. His father suffered a series of strokes and passed away unexpectedly. He was only 63 at the time, still relatively young, but he'd led a much longer life than most others in his line of work. After his father's death, Donald joined up with his father's chief engineer, Leo Villa, and the two continued Sir Malcolm's work in setting speed records on land and water. Campbell started in 1949 by racing his father's old powerboat, the Bluebird K4. The K4 was a hydroplane, which would glide across the water once it reached top speeds. And as American racers started beating his father's existing records, Campbell knew that he'd have to make some changes if he hoped to compete. So he modified the K4 to reduce drag on the water, and in 1951, he managed to reach 170 miles per hour. If only his success had lasted. On one unfortunate attempt to break the record, the Bluebird K4 was destroyed, and it wasn't long before another racer had moved the record up again. Campbell now had to beat 178 miles per hour. He and Leo got to work on a new Bluebird, one made of metal and powered by a jet engine, dubbed the K7 his new hydroplane proved to be a roaring success. Between 1955 and 1964, Campbell set a whopping seven world records and reached speeds as high as 286 miles per hour. Now, he might have had one eye on the water, but he also had his other eye back on land. Several years earlier, a racer named John Cobb had set a land speed record of 394 miles per hour, and Campbell was determined to beat it. He had a new vehicle design called the Bluebird Proteus CN7. Naturally, it was blue-colored, and in order to achieve speeds as high as 500 miles per hour, it was shaped like a flattened submarine. It was his pride and joy, a testament to British engineering and the thing that would zoom him out from behind his father's shadow. Campbell ran some low-speed tests in Sussex before transporting the CN7 to the salt flats of Utah, where it would really stretch its legs. But it was on the 6th attempt when the car stretched a little too far and crashed after reaching a blistering 360 miles per hour. Campbell survived with a fractured skull and some bumps and scrapes, but the CN7 was totaled. A new vehicle was built, and in July of 1964, Donald headed to Australia, where he set a new record of 403.1 miles per hour. It was a rousing success and well-deserved after so many failed attempts, but he still wanted to push things further. And to do that, he had to build a car with a different kind of propulsion. Enter the Bluebird Mach 1.1, otherwise known as the rocket car. It was designed to reach a top speed of 840 miles per hour with the help of two Bristol Sidley rocket engines. Just building the car and telling people about it wasn't enough. He wanted to get the word out by setting another record with the Bluebird K7. He put in a Bristol Orpheus jet engine capable of delivering 4,500 pounds of thrust. After a bout of bad weather and some unsuccessful tries in Lancashire, Campbell finally got his opportunity on January 4th of 1967. He brought the K7 out to the middle of the lake and aimed it toward the southern end. The engine fired and the Bluebird took off like, well, a rocket. 70 miles per hour. 285. 310. Campbell couldn't be stopped. Literally. The first run had gone well, and he wanted to go again immediately, refusing to refuel or wait for things to cool down. The Bluebird blazed a trail across the water a second time, hitting upwards of 320 miles per hour. But something was wrong. The engine went out on this run, and the vehicle touched down on the water, nose pointed downward, and went into a full somersault. The K-7 broke apart as it skipped along the surface of the water. Campbell was killed in the incident, and his body was lost. It took 30 years for divers to find and recover both the Bluebird and Campbell's remains from the lake. He was still wearing his coveralls. Donald Campbell set out to prove he was as brave and as daring as his father before him. And he did. Sadly, he let his success cloud his judgment, and he paid the ultimate price for it. Sometimes, when you feel the need for speed, that's when you should stop and smell the roses before they're left on your grave. I hope you've enjoyed today's guided tour of the Cabinet of Curiosities. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or learn more about the show by visiting curiositiespodcast.com. This show was created by me, Aaron Mankey, in partnership with How Stuff Works.